Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. What's the language? What's my internal dialogue? The most important conversation we'll ever have in our life, guys, is the conversation we have with ourselves, not with our spouse, not with God. It's the conversation we have with ourselves. You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What's up, brother? We're back again. We're back again. All right. Long day in studio today. We have a guest that right now I need to pinch myself a little bit that we're, we're talking to our guest today. It's one of those situations where, as we did when we were talking to Sean Casey, mm-hmm. um, you know, a guy that I remember following and, and watching play baseball. I'm a former college baseball player. It was, it was my sport. And as a big Yankee fan, the, the guy that we're going to be interviewing broke my heart a couple times. And uh, so I remember him and I heard him on the OSHA podcast. Anthony Trucks is one of my mentors, guy that we'll be having on the podcast as well. But I heard him on this podcast and I, his story was, it was so um, like, invig- like listening to his story, I was so drawn in thinking about when you have people that are in the limelight have people that are um, out there in front of the cameras you think oh they have it made everything their life is perfect mm-hmm. they have their for me that was my dream i wanted to become a they major have something league you don't have, so they have everything they have everything and you don't recognize there's not only the pressures that come along with being on stage being have to per- having to perform in front of thousands of people on a regular basis um, all the demons that are that exist within you, unless you deal with them, it could come out in some really negative ways. And a lot of the the, the shit that this guy dealt with, you know, w- wasn't for public consumption. I really had no idea. And thinking about all the, those things, the way that he communicated on the Osha podcast, I was like, I need to talk to him because it resonated with me in such a deep way. The, the his level of authenticity of transparency and he's just a regular guy he's a guy that deals with shit like we all do and he just he wanted to get better he had to rebuild himself from a challenging situation and now he's out there helping men right now so i wanted to introduce our guest for today he is former major league baseball player two-time all-star he's a coach he's a mentor he does uh he runs mlbmindset.com his name is shay hillenbrand welcome to the building man podcast my man thanks for being here <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. It's exciting, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I played for the Sox, but I didn't get the cheese to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, here we are. So I'm super excited to be able to share with you guys today. So we were talking to – we had Dan O'Dowd on. He's um, MLB Insider, uh, MLB Network. He was with the Colorado Rockies, a GM for years. Talked to Sean Casey. And for me, before we get into all the that deep emotional – you know things that we want to talk to you about as well i just would love to hear about one or two of those moments in your career that stand out as far as you know as they're they're writing the shea hillenbrand story and you know the 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 movies on you know on the big screen one day we just saw the kurt warner movie when the shea hillenbrand movie is up there what are the one or two moments that you're like damn that was that's the fucking moment i want there up on the big screen uh, it has to be flying to the All-Star game in 2005 in a Citation 10 private jet. So uh, when you get on top of the world, when you when you make money, when you when you have the you know what you think you have it all in the in you know materialistically making eight figures, all that stuff. But flying to the All-Star game in a Citation 10 jet from Chandler, Arizona to Detroit, Michigan. I was representing the Toronto Blue Jays in the 2005 All-Star game, and I'm flying at 64,000 feet, going 600. 40 miles an hour. A normal commercial airliner goes about uh, 450 miles an hour and flies about 35. So you're big, bad, pimping. I'm on top of the world. Imagine yourself, pilot, co-pilot, yourself, multi-million dollar 10-passenger jet going to your childhood dream, getting ready to play in front of hundreds of millions of people in the Midsummer Classic. And I look out the window and I'm like, this is all it is? This is where it's at? Like, I couldn't believe that I was, you know, in the midst of, of living my childhood dream out, but really didn't know how to navigate that space. That and, you know, hitting that game winner off Mariano Rivera, 
in 2002, I believe. Yeah, uh, so long ago. Uh, the first Red Sox player to ever do that at Fenway Park. I'm running first base, and I feel like the ground is shaking. Like, it's crazy just because of what I did. I felt like David beat and Goliath, man. Like, nobody hits game winners off Mariano. Right. Um, I was in a perfect game. I had three home runs and three consecutive innings for the D-backs. There's highlights after highlights. I was in two no-hitters behind Derek Lowe and Hedeo Nomo, one of my childhood, you know, uh, childhood heroes, Hideo Nomo, growing up in LA, a diehard Dodger fan. So there was, I can go on for hours about the experiences of living out being a, a major league baseball player. Super, super uh, uh, honored to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. And I remember that moment very um, specifically the home run off of Rivera. And he was, a, I mean, he was a badass. One of those, uh, we, when we talked to Sean Casey about it, the pitches that having that, that cutter. Just like, real quick about baseball, too. Who was the toughest pitcher you ever hit against? It's funny, I get this uh, question quite frequently. My answer is the same every single time, all of them. All of them, all of them, all of them. I can't tell you how hard it is to hit major league pitchers in the big leagues. You have one pitch in at bat, if you're lucky, to do something with. And the worst thing to ever do as a hitter uh, that's, that's, you know, has some success is you get to a, to a hitter's count, 3-1, 3-2, uh, 2-0, 1-0, and you foul off your pitch. Your pitch that they give you to hit, you foul that off, and you're like, yep, here we go. Um, I'm not going to do anything this at bat. But uh, facing Justin Verlander, 101 mile hour fastball, uh, the guys that really got me is like the Romero Mendoza. I remember one time Joe Torre in, in, uh, in New York took out Mariano Rivera. Well, mid at, mid at bat with me and put in Romero Mendoza to face me. That's how my numbers were against Mariano. He threw that cutter from the, you know this much, a little bit to like like one foot, yeah. the same pitch every time. But this location is great. But these guys are I can't tell you enough, guys. Like it's so so difficult to face major league pitchers and mendoza he it was like he just had that sinker right it was it sinker just, yeah, sinker yep yep and i i could i could talk for hours to it just about pitches i remember like watching pedro throw the changeup. i was like how the fuck can someone hit this pitch it, it was like a free yeah. in, in 2002 i played behind him every start at third base and and i like that question better is like who's the best you know the, the coolest or you're the best pitcher you ever played behind yeah hands down Pedro Martinez I played behind Randy I played behind Kurt Schilling I played behind some amazing Hall of Fame pitchers hands down Pedro Martinez this dude in the clubhouse we'd have sanitary socks at the time he put it around his head he had his cut off shirt he never worked out he just did a little bit of job shoulder exercise he never did anything he's the biggest goofball ever like he just like there's nothing ever straight comes out of Pedro's mouth when he's not pitching. But when he walks between those lines, like he's like a pit bull, like something switches in his mind. He's like, I'm going to kill you, puppy. Let's go. <laughs> we ride tonight. Come on. I got you. And the, the, the energy and everything, um, like it's crazy. Like playing behind Pedro was, was absolute uh, a, a true blessing. And anybody that could grab Don Zimmer and throw him down by his ears and yeah, right? <laughs> to the crown. Yeah, and he felt bad about that. But he did the moment, man. Like yeah. you're just like, Screw you guys, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, it's just uh, playing first base, uh, really cool, too, because when guys get on first base, Jeep would get on first base, and it's like, I'm telling you, him and Kyle Ripken, they had the coolest, trippiest eyes ever, like electric blue. And I always say, hey, Jeep, I'm not Gabriel, but your eyes are awesome, man. Always on first base. Come on, Shay, stop that, man. Dude, this is ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, no, it's like a fraternity for us. It's not as diehard for us as, as players because we're like a small fraternity. Yeah, we try to play that role, but, you know, Giambi, you get on first, Posada, you know, uh, Bernie Williams, uh, uh, G.A.Y., what's up, dude? How you doing, man? How You know, so it's 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 cool, man. Did you ever do any funny shit with them at first base besides telling Jeter that it, his his blue eyes were what? Like the children, no, everyone's ass. Did you like his eyes were beautiful? <laughs> you know, tell guys like uh, Jason Giambi, he wore like suede shoes. His cleats were like pipping. Now he stunk. He's like, come on, G. Like, clean your shoes up, bro. You stick like crap right now, man. But uh, no, we'd be, you know, we'd be checking out girls in the stands. and be like, hey, did you see that chick over there or whatever? Like, it just, it's seriously, it's just like small talk like we're doing right now. Like, exactly. when, we get, when, you, when you play every night inside in, in a stadium in front of 40,000 people, it's just, you, you, you become accustomed to it and you just do it, man. There's a lot more stories off the field oh, that yeah, we can share sure. or, or in the clubhouse. But, um, no, not at first base, uh, not in the too many stories, but during that at bat that I hit that game winner off Mariano, it was like a 2-1 pitch, 1-1 pitch, and he threw a cutter inside. It was so close it could barely, could have been called a bowler strike. 
But we know as hitters, we know as as uh, you know catchers, we know like if it's going to be, a, we know it's a ball or a strike. We, we, our eyes are so like in tune to it. But the umpire could have called it either way. So I step out of the batter's box, and the umpire caught him the ball to make it two one. And Posada, if you guys ever see a catcher facing the field throwing a ball back to the pitcher, and he has his head turned sideways. He had his head turned sideways towards me during that at bat. You could see it. Um, he's cussing out the umpire. Come on, my owner needs that fucking pitch. Let's go. What the fuck are you doing? This is fucking ridiculous. Like, like, and I'm sitting up there, like, serious right now, Posada? Like, I need this pitch. I have no chance right now. So, yeah, that was things like that go on all the time. If you don't physically or, or visually show up an umpire, they'll let you get away with yeah. a lot until you tell him to go after his mother or something like that. <laughs> That, in, in most professions, that'll get you in trouble yeah. when you tell somebody to go f their their mother. <laughs> so, what about any? Um, I, I love this. I love the ship, the behind the scenes things. It just it humanizes you in a level where you see these guys on TV and you're like, they're living this this lifestyle. But then you're like, yeah, I was on first base and I cut a huge fucking fart in somebody's face, and that's what fucking happens. We're dudes out there playing a sport we love to play. I, that's the, the the thing about this that I love the most: this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there's so many things that go on in the clubhouse. Um, um, you know, when, when you, when the first thing that comes to my mind is when you, when you make the all-star game, uh, the, the manager of each team, the American league, every time each of Suzuki is in the all-star game. Um, I hope you guys can bleep some of this stuff out because I don't know if it offends anybody. Um, just, just, the, just the language. <laughs> but uh, uh, manager's like, uh, it was Joe Torre uh, one year, and I can't remember who was the next year. So it was a Red Sox manager. I can't. Terry Francona. Um, okay, guys, congratulations. You're the best in the world. You made the team. This is great. We have all you guys in the clubhouse at one time. Probably 35 guys. And the best of the best in the American League. And, He's like, go out there, don't get hurt, make sure you put on a good show, whatever, represent your team, represent your family. And every single time at the end of the speech, the manager's speech, they turn to Ichiro. And they're like, Ichiro, do you have anything to say? And every time Ichiro would stand up and he's like, let's beat these motherfuckers! In his Japanese accent, and it was just freaking, like, Ichiro, what the hell's wrong with you? He's like, let's go, guys, we got some damage to do. I love <laughs> so, that's so good. <laughs> Absolutely tremendous. So as you're in the locker room before the before the All-Star game, who was the person that you looked around and you're like, holy shit, I'm here with this guy or that guy? Was there that, that moment where you were on the field with the, with someone that you idolized growing up? Um, yes, 100%. But uh, my first year, 2002, was my second year in the big leagues with the Red Sox. Um, I figured it out. I figured out I didn't have a sophomore slump. And I was doing fairly good. I never watched TV. I turned on ESPN in June and uh, just flip it on. I have no idea. And they had a, uh, they, they're noticing the, the all-star ballots for the uh, American League third basements. They just had to show it up there. And I was winning that. At 26 years old, five years removed from junior college that I walked on to. It's like, it's like mind-blowing. Like, how is this possible? So I was leading uh, for all sorts of basements for American League, and then Robin Ventura was second. So I mean, growing up watching him, but uh, in that All-Star game in 2002, um, I was starting. I started at third base. I hit second. Each row hit first, and then uh, uh, came to the home plate. And uh, halfway through my minor league career, I went from – I got drafted shortstop and went from first base to third base. And they, uh, they came to me and said, do you want to catch? And I was like, yeah, I learned how to catch. So I became a catcher halfway through my minor league career. And that's when I came to the big leagues as a catcher because I could hit. So obviously, you idolize Mike Piazza. So Mike Piazza played in L.A. He was with the Mets at the time. And I went to home plate uh, for the All-Star game. And just, just you know, digging in the box. And here's Mike Piazza. Because I always played like we're in the different leagues, right? Yeah. I was in the American League and he was in the National League. So um, he said, hey, what's up, Shay? Congratulations, man. Good to see you. And I'm thinking like, how the hell is this even happening right now? Right. Like Mike Piazza, like talking to me like it's just like we're, we're, we're equals. You know what I mean? We're going to war against each other. So that experience is really cool. But before the All-Star game that year, I had to have four beers in the, in the bathroom in the dugout just to be able to calm my nerves. Like, it's crazy. Like, the, like I'm telling you, man, like being announced and being in front of all those people, like, it's just, it's just, it's like out of body experience, man. It's just, it's, it's asinine. It's like, you can't even explain it, man. You go to the hotel room when you check into the Hell Star game and like all of your beds, like bags everywhere of like, like, like sponsors and equipment and Adidas. You have your own custom made spikes made for the All Star game and like who's, who's there and everybody's there. And it's just like crazy, man. This is, I can't believe I'm here right now, but just 
totally awesome experiences, man. Anything you can imagine, it was like that, man. It was, it was, it was insane. Besides having the four beers before the abat when you were nervous, did you have any superstitions that you needed to do before every game? You just went out there and played. See, there's no such thing as superstitions, guys. This is my theory. Um, you don't have superstitions, but you, what you have to do is like the uncluttered mind is systematic, right? So there's a generalized focus and there's a specific focus. Maybe I, I place my focus specifically on one thing. So when I dig in the batter's box against Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park with Manny Ramirez on second base, we're down by one run in the eighth inning. I'm only focusing on three things and three things only. That's it. Nothing else. When do I start is number one. At what point in his windup, he's out of the stretch. At what point when he brings his heart up, do I start my swing? Number two is instantly switch that to read the pitch. I read the pitch for the location of the pitch to transmit the information from my eyes to my brain. And the third thing is just react. So it's when do I start, read the pitch, react. So what does that mean? I need to be in a in, in peak performance mindset uh, state of operation five at-bats a night with five pitches per at-bat. That's 25 pitches. Then I got 200 and something pitches on the field that I got to be snapped into focus specific so I can perform at the highest level possible. So in order to do that, you have to have systematic processes throughout the day. So I wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, I go to bed at midnight. But I can tell you verbatim what I did all day long when I woke up, two bottles of water, take my supplements, bop, 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 all the way through, come to the clubhouse, take my wedding ring off, put it in my, my, my wallet, put my wallet in my, my locker, and then I put my shorts on, go to the, the spa, the jacuzzi. After the jacuzzi for eight minutes, I come back out, get dressed, put my socks on. You just put stuff on the systematic process every single day so your mind can be snapped into that specific focus so you don't allow the, the pressure and the fear and the anxiety and all the fans and all the stuff kick into place to allow it to affect you so you just go through it all day long and the person I think about is no more Garcia Paul but he drove me nuts man just around the poles they're knocking his feet but he's doing that to click his mind at a high level of peak performance so uh, superstitions, I don't believe in that stuff, but what we do is you have to have a systematic process. So like right now, I, I, I take out the trash the same way every day. I mow the lawn the same way every day. I make my bed the same way every day. I do my morning routine. This, I drive my wife nuts. But this is how you get self-confidence. So this podcast is about uh, uh, helping other men, helping kids to be able to go out there to become men, right? So it's like, okay, the way we do that is at the end of the day, I need to complete a task, which is a systematic four-step process when I'm fielding a ground ball. I feel the ground ball is a four-step process. Guys, you want to know the truth? I have no clue how to field a ground ball, and I was a two-time all-star third baseman in the big league. Zero clue. I am mean, the worst fielder out there. Take the worst, like Manny Ramirez in left field times 10. That's me at third base. How did I do it? I had a four-step process. The first step is read the ground ball. I read the ground ball for speed, location, and hop. Then I set up for the ground ball. I go right, left, pick it. And then I go step three is right, left, Pick up your target, step four, throw it to his first base. So if I do that over like 100,000 times with one specific dialed-in, fine-tuned process, then I can't not. I'd be an idiot if I couldn't feel the ground ball in the big leagues, right? Because the turf, the infield surface is amazing. But I can't tell you how many times I feel the ground ball, a routine ground ball, I'll throw it to first base. You guys can't see it, but in my mind, I'm like, yes, yeah, sweet, got another one there, right? So it's like... Step one, step two, step three, step four. So once I get that task complete, guys, I have a dopamine release, right? I can celebrate that one, and then I have a boost of self-confidence through that process. It's about getting self-confidence, about getting self-worth. It's about getting credibility with yourself on a daily basis. That's what you do. There's no superstition. Sorry, I went on a rant there. No, it's good. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pull, pull a session of that and, and just post that out there because it's, it's a step-by-step systematic process for people to follow along that are trying to achieve something it's the confidence comes from the reps the confidence doesn't just come because you're good at something you need to the and you're being present yes. in that moment too you're not allowing yourself to go off on these tangents start thinking of other things because all you're thinking about is those three or four things that you need to do in that moment right there to get the job you're so true you, you hit it right on the nose. You're present. You have to be present in the moment. You have to be present with your spouse, your partner. You have to be present with your children. You have to be present. I have to be present right now to rock this podcast to be able to do what I need to do to add value to these guys. I can't just come up here and just, just BS you guys and thinking about this or that or whatever. But just like hitting a baseball, like like I got a PhD in that stuff. It's not a matter of like there's a little bit of talent. 
It's a little bit of, you know, it's fast twitch, hand-eye coordination. It's like processors, all that stuff, the light you have. But it's super simple. It starts off the batter's tee in the batting cage. I have a four-step process. Where am I going to hit the ball? Step one, direction. Step two, I'm going to look at the ball in the batting cage. See, when you get in the batting cage, when you play, you just try to hit line drives at the back of the cage. Yeah, you want to hit line drives to do that swing, but how do you do that? You have to be present. You have to ingrain that feel into your nervous system. I call it the file cabinet. And you have to file that feel. So I'm looking step one, direction. Where am I going to hit the ball? The batting cage off a tee where nobody wants to hit. All these kids nowadays are like, oh, baseball, I'm not going to hit off the tee. I'm too good for that. That is the best tool you can have. So the step one is direction. I'm going to hit the ball in the back of the cage. Step two, I'm going to look at the ball and visualize because visualization is the number one tool that we all have in our toolbox that nobody uses. I visualize myself playing on a major league baseball field since eight, nine, ten years old at the top deck of Dodger Stadium where the rest of my friends were just out there just BSing around. Step two of my swing is I'm going to look at the ball and tell myself I'm hitting it to the back of the cage. Step three, I'm going to start my swing to achieve my load. Step four, I'm going to feel the movement as I'm looking at the ball, hitting the back of the cage. One, direction. Two, ball. Three, achieve my load. Four, feel. One, two, three, four. Direction, ball, achieve my load, feel. Direction, ball, achieve my load, feel. If I can feel that movement, I can make the adjustments needed. If I hit the ball at the top of the cage, I know what it feels like. Just don't make that feeling the same again. Right? So it's just ingraining that feel into your nervous system while you train. Confidence, confidence, confidence. I get so bored hitting line drives in a batting cage off a machine. But I can just have my eyes closed, just hit it anywhere. What am I focusing on? When do I start? Read the ball, react. When do I start? Read the ball, react. So you have a four-step focus. You have a focus formula I call while you train. You have a fo- focus formula while you perform. Once you ingrain those, you're in the moment, you're rocking and rolling, and you're competing only against yourself. It doesn't matter who it is. The reason I say that is because in 2006, I hit third and Barry Bonds hit fourth. And he is the best player that's ever played the game. Shane Hillenbrand's uh, uh, theory or perspective or whatever, like this guy's insane. It's like, how the hell do I compete with this dude? That's how you do it right there. I'll tell you, I, you fucking brought it there, my man. I, I, you're like the Ichiro Suzuki of the Building Men podcast. Just diet. That's a fucking tremendous. All right, so now I want to get into. I love the 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 backstory with the the baseball part of it. Like I mentioned, just being able to talk to you on the podcast, watching you at such a high level. Um, you know, as I played college baseball and coach baseball, it was watching you. It was um just a, a joy for me to to experience that. Um. For an opposing player, but you went through a, a situation. And you you had everything that you you dreamed of. You wanted to be a pro- professional baseball player growing up. You achieved what you wanted to achieve. And you mentioned you're in this jet and you're flying. You're like, is this really fucking it? So now talk to us a little bit about your exit from the game. Like, what happened after you you achieved what you wanted to achieve and you you, you didn't find that internal validation anymore? Like, what? Talk to us a little bit about that process, Shay. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So uh, all along the way, my story kind of starts at 14 years old, just like so many other kids and their adolescents. There's experiences that we have in our lives and how we kind of communicate that and interpret that experience to ourselves forms a story. So everything that we do whenever I left Major League Baseball, I was like, what is going on here, man? I was slated to be a $100 million player. I knew I could hit 330 home runs and 100 RBIs every year. First person because of mine is like Adrian Beltre. Like, like I was that type of player, but I didn't do it. I made $20 million. I made one fifth of my potential. So that's just like numbers. I, I, I don't, the, the money's irrelevant to me right now. What the thing is, is like, okay, how did this Shea Hillenbrand, why did he just reach one fifth of his potential at the highest peak of his life on top of that mountain of playing Major League Baseball? And what I did is I, I kind of like reverse engineered everything through my life and everything I went through after I done, finished playing. So I, I was that guy that, that, that had two childhood dreams. When I was in fifth grade, the teacher's like, hey, what do you guys want to do? Hey, pick me, pick me. <laughs> and he's like, all right, Shane, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to play Major League Baseball, and I'm going to own a zoo. And they're like, <laughs> real funny, man. That's, good luck. How about it? And I was like, what? What do you guys? Yeah, I'm going to do it. So um, my story that I told myself at 14 when, when my, 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 my dad moved us from California to Arizona uh, without me really knowing was that I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me. Um, what I didn't realize is that story from the perspective and the perception inside of myself that kind of drove pain 
um, really a lot of pain. So I, when I moved from California to Arizona, decided to become an overachiever through athletics, mostly to prove I was worthy enough for my parents' eyes to, to get their love and admiration and, and kind of like stuff that a lot of men don't even want to talk about because we have ego, we have pride. That's a sign of weakness if we do that. But uh, what I realized is that um, that's what drove me to the top. It's like, man, here I go. I'm on the way. Minor leagues, I get drafted by the Boston Red Sox uh, out of junior college. I was the number one baseball player in junior college, Arizona. I was the number one soccer player in high school in Arizona. Get drafted by the Red Sox. I proceeded to tell everybody I get drafted by the White Sox. Don't even know what team I get drafted by because I'm like, I'm going to the big leagues because I want my father's approval. But I didn't know that. But that's what my subconscious system was being trained on a daily basis. And that's my operating system. My internal operating system was like, dude, you're not lovable. You're not good enough. If you just get there, you're going to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. And the minor leagues, I became player of the year three of the five years. Um, pretty cool stuff. And then I got a chance to become uh, a big leaguer in 2001. And I was on the field in Baltimore, Maryland, starting at third base and uh, had tears come running down my face. It was like a really internal conflict of how I felt. Here I am on the field, <laughs> Camden Yard, man. Like, I, this is like this is insane on ESPN. And then on the inside, I felt pain. I felt disdain. I felt uh, regret. I felt a lot of crap in there. But um, the pressure to succeed is so great once you become a professional baseball player, working your way to the minor leagues, to the major leagues. The pressure is so great that I lost myself. Uh, and when you don't know who you are before you go into what you do, and if you have a high pressure profession is like playing in front of millions of people and failing every single night. Uh, it, it, it could become kind of like a uh, craziness operating inside of yourself. You, you begin to not trust yourself. You begin hating the game. You begin hating who you are. Um, you, you start to run numb and flee from all that stuff. Cause you can, right? I'm a, I'm a God. I'm, 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 I can do whatever I want. I have little girls in the stands, hold up signs saying, will you marry me, Shay? I do autograph signings for $10,000 an hour. Imagine that. And girls would be coming to the table, teenage girls, preteen girls, crying and shaking just because they got to meet me. And like what they couldn't see is that, that deep, deep pain, feeling that pain-driven game. And this is something that uh, I want to put a voice to, you know, I'm thinking of A.B., what was it? And, Tony Brown, the, the football player the other day, took his shirt off and jersey off. and Like, I get it. I understand it. They, 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 I get, like, everybody's bashing the dude. And it's just like, dude, like, the struggle's real. So in a part of my career, I'm sitting on my couch with my firstborn son in my arms, and I try to show love to him. Um, I had everything in the world. But all I ever wanted to be is a dad, just like so many other men out there. My three children are adopted, and I have my firstborn son, my pride and joy in my arms, and I couldn't share love with them. I, I couldn't share love with anybody. All I can connect to is that pain and that guilt and that shame that drove me to the top of, you're not lovable, you're not good enough, your dad doesn't love you. And it sounds cliche, it sounds like, you know, weak, it sounds, but it's so common with so many men out there that... I made a decision proven to be the biggest decision of my life right there with my son in my arms. I'm talking to my wife, not talking to my agent. I'm talking to my parents, not talking to anybody. Um, I quit. I walked away. I walked away from that one childhood dream I had my whole life. I walked, I, I just left. I, I left $50 million of potential earnings on the table in the prime of my career. I just disappeared. I'm like, I'm just going to come home to be a father to my children. And I'm going to pursue my second childhood dream of owning a zoo. And I did that. I bought a 30 acre horse farm in Southern Gilbert, Arizona. And uh, I accumulated 300 farm and exotic animals. I had camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, monkeys, raccoons. I had anything and everything under the moon. I had 800-pound pigs named Taco Bell and Gilbert. I had three-legged goats. I had blind horse. I had all these, all these animals. I had a vision of, of rescuing these animals because I love animals way more than baseball. I'm like Steve Irwin, crocodile. Heidi, mate. Like I just, I just love animals to a passion. I love helping kids out. So. Uh, I had a vision of, of rehabilitating these animals with unconditional love that have been abandoned, abused, and neglected, and, and putting them in a petting zoo environment, and then bring bring inner city kids out, and disabled kids, and kids in child crisis situations, and just marry the two together in this petting zoo environment, and the kids will give unconditional love to these animals that they need, and these animals will give, and they'll speak this language of universal love that nobody else can do, because not a word was said there between the animals and the children, and Man, the joy I received um, witnessing my animals transform thousands of children's lives in my community through my nonprofit foundation against all odds was just 
brilliant. It was priceless. It was like you couldn't anything I ever did in a major baseball. You could have Marlon Rivera home run. You could have the Jets. You could have the matches. You could have all that money. All that. What happened at that farm was just mind blowing. It was just amazing. I'm like I'm bound to get fulfillment now. I'm bound to get. Uh, uh, just peace and bound like I'm doing so much good to help other people out, but I couldn't help myself. So it, it led me to about uh, eight years ago at three o'clock in the morning. I uh, found myself on the floor of a van. And I was actually living in a van eight years ago that I bought. Imagine that going from the penthouse to the outhouse, not even the outhouse to, to man, I'd, I'd make $340,000 every two weeks after taxes, flying private jets, multiple matches, three, 300 pairs of shoes, six automobiles, uh, everything I could ever wanted, and it just that pain, and it just it just wasn't enough. So, um, I found myself just and I overdosed on drugs and alcohol, um, and, and the overdose was just to numb that pain. I, I wasn't a drug addict, and I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, although, imagine with the the the, the, the extreme uh, stuff that I have, I could probably go there if I needed to, or, or, or chose to. But uh, I, I was laying on the floor of this van eight years ago and uh, motionless after overdosing on drugs and alcohol. And my, my children were inside my ex-wife's house. I was parked outside my ex-wife's house with arms distance away. And uh, as the soul's leaning the top of my head and I'm clinging under my last breath, it was just, it was crazy because it's like, here lies a guy that so many people envy. And all I wanted to do is escape my internal world to hell because I couldn't ask for help. I didn't know how to ask for help because everybody came to me for help. I've given away millions of dollars to help people out and, and done so many things just to try to run them and flee from that pain myself. And, and, and I, as I'm laying there, I just like, I'm done. Like, I can't, I'm so tired of fighting this pain driven game that, that I, I just let go. I, I just, I just wanted to escape. I wasn't trying to kill myself, but I just, I had nowhere else to go. Major League Baseball was stripped. The, the zoo and the farm was stripped. Everything out of my life was stripped. My family, my kids, my money, everything. All I had was myself and it was disgusting to sit there with just who I was as a person. See, I was able easily to hide behind that veil of Major League Baseball, oh my gosh, you did this, you did that, but nobody ever knew what really was going on on the inside. And I let go, I don't know if I died if I fell asleep, but the next day, I, by the grace of God, I woke up and I came to and, and it was really eerie because I didn't have any side effects, no stomach ache, no headache, no nausea, no nothing, and the concoction of pills and alcohol I consumed the night before, I should have either been in the hospital or dead, and I wasn't, it was an aha moment. And I said, dude, you got to go. I did everything I could to kill myself, meaning that I did everything I could to run them and flee from that pain, from those stories and those perspectives that Shea Hillenbrand formed, not anybody else, because we live off of our perspective and our story. Our stories are truth. And the story that I formed in my head was 100% incorrect, but it was something I, I formed through experiences with my father. So I started crying. See, see when, you're, when you're in a place of wanting to give up, guys, you're like, you just got to get the momentum going because momentum is the key to life is momentum. It's like, it's an irrefutable truth. We have to gain momentum. A man without progression, a man without a visual perish, like progression is the key to happiness. And, and we just got to keep momentum going every day. That's what I did playing baseball. But as a person, I was nothing. So I just had to put one foot in front of each other every day and it hurt. It hurt because I hated who I was. I hated everything about myself. The disdain of you're a loser. You lost everything. What would your parents think if you left this? What kind of dad would do this to his kids? And my answer to that all the time was, I don't know. I'm nothing if I don't have baseball. That's what we talk about. That's what we talk about with ourselves as, as major league baseball players, as professional athletes, as, as, as when we go to bed at night. It's like the majority of us hate who we are because we've sold our soul to the game. And all we focused on and put our, we, we, we bet on the performer, not the person. So we're always trying to perfect the performer, but we don't know who we are behind the what. So once I started gaining momentum, I had no idea where I was going to go. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had nothing left in my life but to get up every single day. And through that process, I realized that there is a person deeper underneath who Shea Hillenman who really is. That's a person with substance. That's a person with depth. That's a person that cares. It's a person that wants to make an impact. It's a person that had the voice, the voice right now. I didn't have this voice when I was playing Major League Baseball, guys. I had no voice. 
I had the third highest active batting average in Yankee Stadium behind Paul Konecko, Ichiro Suzuki, Shea Hillenbrand. I had the third best batting average in Yankee Stadium out of Major League Baseball. I remember hitting a, a go-ahead home run off Lucina in the seventh inning. I'm running back to the dugout, and, and a fan yells, Hillenbrand, I still taste your mom's from last night. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude. I'm like, I'm on ESPN. I'm rocking it. I'm doing it. And then... I go to a five-star restaurant that night with my entourage. I'm dropping 4K on a meal on my credit card. Like, yeah, I'll pay for it. I could step to the plate in Yankee Stadium, arguably the biggest stage in – it's the biggest stage in Major League Baseball, but in sports, period. But I couldn't step to the plate at the supper table. I'd almost pee my pants every night at a meal because I was afraid to get up and walk across the restaurant to use the restroom in the restaurant in fear of everybody staring at me because I had no self-worth, no self-confidence as Shay Hellenbrand, the person. So as I gained momentum in my life, guys, I just put one step in front of everybody. I just, I just woke up every day and I started raising my standards. I started elevating my standards. I started changing my rituals. I started keeping the promises to myself. And when I did that, strategic people came into my life. And when strategic people came in life, they did two things and two things only. It's as simple as this. They provided me direction and accountability. That's what we all need is direction and accountability. And once we did that, you start going to the next level. And I started understanding, like, what's the language? What's my internal dialogue? The most important conversation we'll ever have in our life, guys, is the conversation we have with ourselves, not with our spouse, not with God. It's a conversation we have with ourselves because that conversation is the foundation of who we are. The conversation I have with myself, guys, oh, you're a piece of shit. You're a loser. You cheated on your wife. You screwed up your kids. You lost all your money. You cut your parents out of your whole career. You were a horrible friend every single day. And I had to change that. I had to change that and start putting the good in. And then that conversation leads to your belief system. The most powerful force in human nature is for us to stay congruent to what we believe to be true about ourselves. You know what I believed about myself? I had no belief. I'm going to the big leagues and I'm going to crush. Other than that, I don't care what happens. I don't care about friends. I have no values or nothing. So once I started putting those three irrefutable truths in my life as a cornerstone, that's what changed my life. See, we have to do it ourselves. We can have all the resources we want. We have to become resourceful, guys. And I did that and started going and realizing that, you know what? Like, like I'm at that place of service now in my life. Like, like I had it all. And then I, then I, then I, lost, I lost everything. I was, I was scrunching up change out of my cup holder just to feed my kids Little Caesars pizza. Like, how do you deal with that as a man? As your kids are going to school, you know, my dad played for the Diamondbacks because I live in Arizona. You know, my dad did this and that. And I'm, I'm sitting here like feeling like the biggest piece of crap in the world. So it took that. It took me to get stripped of everything, to have everything away for me to hide behind, to work on Shea Hillenbrand. I had to look myself in the mirror. And I couldn't even look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, dude, you're, you're garbage right now, man. Like, you don't do anything. It's funny because my wife was one of those strategic people that came to my life. We've been married seven years and God brought her into my life. And she said, tells everybody, Shay was fat, bald, and homeless when I met him. And he's not that same person today. And, uh, and I did that. So now I just want to use my voice. I want to use my gifts. I want to use my talents. I want to use my experiences. I want to use my story to inspire people to go out there and say, dude, I effed up everything in my life, man. And if I'm sitting here in this space with fulfillment, with peace, with joy, with love. I'm in my dream house. I'm in my dream life. I'm living my dream life. My life. And I, like, like we're in the process of buying another horse farm right now and pursuing all of the, like everything's being uh, transformed in my life. And it's just like, gosh, you just can't give up. I gotta, just can't give up. Guys. I got to tell you, that was probably the, the deepest dive into vulnerability that we've experienced on this show and we've a hundred and so many episodes in we've had some guys go really deep and expose some shit from their past and their traumas that was the deepest dive so i truly appreciate you going there with us and with our audience and sharing all that shit and the stories that we tell ourselves you, you said you're not loved your father isn't there for you you're not good enough Th that shit you, know, you couldn't mask it with with money, with fame, with the with the farm, with the zoo, with it, the the work had to be done inside first for you to fully heal from it. it didn't matter. You could have made a million fucking dollars every week. It didn't matter. That wasn't going to cover up that pain. So I know I, I heard you talking to Anthony Trucks about this, and you say often, "What advice would you go back and give yourself at 19 or 20 or whatever?" Cause, and you said, "I don't fucking care. I wouldn't listen anyway." But even though you wouldn't listen to that advice, what did you need to hear? What what did you need to hear from yourself, that story you were telling yourself as you were going through all that negative self-talk? You're walking through the restaurant. This guy's a piece of shit. I can't. What did you need to hear? What, what were the words? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. And, and, and I always say that with, you know, tongue in cheek, because that's how I would have been. I, like, I was so set, so set on, on the way I was. But, but looking back now, like the biggest battles that I ever had were not between the lines. We're not, we're not, we're not on the field. We're, we're not between the first and ninth inning. The biggest battles I ever had were the internal battles I had with myself. So it's like we have a performer as a person, you know, we have a performer and then we have a person. There's two people right here, right? If we have a profession, you have a job, whatever we're trying to do, you guys have this podcast, you guys are performers, it's your job, it's what you guys like to do. But there's people behind that. And if I would have worked on that person behind the performer, organizations don't deal with that. They didn't deal with that when I played. I didn't have anybody around me. Um, I had a bunch of yes people tell me what I wanted to hear because I'm the one that's controlling paying them. It's just work on yourself. You gotta, Oprah always says it best. I, I love her quote. It says, you gotta work harder on yourself than you do your job. You're in charge of filling yourself up and keeping yourself full. I mean, I've had two failed marriages. I'm on my third marriage, and it's just like, I get it now. I understand it. I can't expect anything from my wife. I got to give. I got to serve. I got to, reciprocity happens that way. I got to give, but I had nothing to give before because I didn't know, I didn't have to give because everybody gave to me. I mean, I, I jump on a flight, and everybody tried to give me free drinks, the flight attendants, because they find a I'm like, why don't you give the rest of this? crowd a free drink because they don't have the money. Why am I getting free drinks when I have the money to buy everything on here? You know what I mean? So it's like you just have everything thrown at you and you have everything and everybody wants something for you. Work on yourself. How do you work on yourself? You have to have mentors. You have to have coaches. I have coaches in my life right now. I have, I have a strength coach. I have a nutritionist. I have a storytelling coach. I have a business coach. I have all kinds of coaches that, that I have in my life right now. And then you have to give, right? It's like you have to you have to fill yourself up and you have to give. You have to grow and you have to give. The reason why I didn't make $100 million or reach my full potential, whatever, I don't, I don't care about the money, is because the person behind the performer. If I would have worked on myself, if I would have understood how to take care of the things to have self-confidence in myself, oh my gosh. I know I'm going to make more money now than I made playing baseball. I'm making a bigger impact now than playing baseball. And it's because... I figured out who I am, who I truly am at the core. And when you do that, uh, it puts things in perspective, right? I mean, 2007 is my last year. I still have dreams on a weekly basis about playing baseball. Talking about PTSD, talking about yeah. like having to navigate that, suiting up uh, and get ready to go from the dugout, the clubhouse down the dugout for, for the Red Sox. Like, like, the t like, like I still have to deal with that stuff. But it, it, just navigating that and understanding that, man, that, that I'm way bigger than the game. Like, like what I have, the potential, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to play Major League Baseball, to create the name and have experiences and experience that platform. But, man, this is, life is so much greater than that. So I'm working on yourself in the short term. Sorry, I kind of rambled a lot. <laughs> That's good. I, I need to ask, the, the moment that you were on the, the couch with your, your, your son, he was an infant, and you made the decision, I didn't talk to my wife, I didn't talk to my agent, and you left the game. If you were to go back, would you make that same decision? Do you feel like, do you have regrets no. from deciding to leave the game? No. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, I don't, I, I, I personally don't live with regrets. Everything in my life had to transpire to happen to get me to where I'm at now, to, to, to equip myself, to set myself apart on this podcast, because there's so many out here that you interview that my, I know I'm set apart. I know I'm not, I don't think I'm one bit better than anybody else. I know that, that my story and my direction and my path, uh, those times when I left the game, it's just like, oh my gosh, what I'm doing. But now, like, I am so grateful to go through everything I went through because that just adds more experience in my tool belt to be able to help somebody else out because the person I want to help out is that player right now that's left the game that's got a pistol in his mouth. I've known so many guys that have blown their heads off. I've known people that are, that are just numbing and running and flee from that pain. And I want to sit there and say, dude, you think you're one breath away from giving up? You're one breath away from a breakthrough in your life. It's just a switch that perspective that you have with where you are. And I want to be able to help guys like that and help people out there that are in that position. They'll say, dude, let's go. I got your back. Let's do this. Let's switch your perspective saying, hey, man, we're great close to a breakthrough. Life, there's so much more to life left. If you guys read, this, read, the, read the, uh, the news today, Jim Corsi died, 60 years old. I did the Red Sox fantasy camps with him. He was a pitcher. Um, he played for the Yankees a bit, played for the Red Sox, and it just it breaks my heart. The guy, the guy died with a broken heart, uh, 60 years old. You know, it's just like life's not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, guys. So why not, why not put ourselves on path to go out there and do what we've been called to do? Because I believe all of us have a purpose, and that's to be able to add value and impact other people's lives with the gifts and talents that we have.
Thank you, man. Last emotional question from me is, were you able to reconcile with your father? Uh, was that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my wife, Kristen, she, she made me do it. I cut my parents out of my whole career. Like at that all-star game in 2005, my parents took themselves. I flew with a private jet, pimping jet, had my own trials, and my parents are sitting at the third deck. And uh, I have to live with that every single day. And they're, they're at the third deck telling the security guards and the fans, that's my boy down there playing third base. They're looking at him like, why the hell are you up here? They're like, we don't know. We, we love him so much. Uh, we're just here to support him. And, uh, and I'm on the field knowing that my parents are up there in front of hundreds of millions of people. And I'm looking up in between pitches saying, F that guy. Like, that's how disdain, that's how deep, that's how driven my story was. And that was just a generational curse because my dad had challenges with his father. So uh, I sat down and told my parents my story and my dad started crying and he's like, dude, we, we, we've been trying to tell you this your whole life, Shay. And I said, dad, you know what? I love you and, and, and you're my role model. And I mean, my perspectives went from that from like, I want to kill this guy, you know? And, and it was able to go back. See, see guys, you could actually rewrite history you can't change what happened in history, but you can go back and do the work and peel back the layers of the onion and really do your due diligence and say, you know what? Um, oh, I get it now why my dad did what he did. My dad loved me the very best he could. He struggled with things way greater than what I struggled with. He just didn't know how to communicate that to me. And the way he communicated with me with his actions, man, I took that the wrong way. So I was able to switch that perspective and it could happen in an instance. And when that happens, guys, you become liberated and you become empowered because that story no longer holds you back. So sitting down and being able to do that and uh, my father passed away about four years ago and he donated his body to science and my mom called me at 3 a.m. and my wife and I went over there and to sit with her and he was there on the floor passed uh, deceased for like three hours and when they took him up reached down and kissed him on the head and i said dad i'm going to use my voice to impact the world and that's what i'm doing now so i made that pack with my father and uh it's one of those things where it's just i'm on a mission i'm on a mission to go out there and do whatever i can however i can any way i can to be able to go out there and just put that light in people's lives and spark their souls to say dude we can do this Anyone who's listening right now can't help but be fucking motivated listening to your story, Fuck. my man. Jesus Christ. My last question is, with the zoo that you have going right now, is there a three-legged goat anywhere on property? I just No, 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 no. I, I, you know, there's no three-legged goats. I don't have a zoo right now, but we do have horses, and okay. I'm, per- I'm in the process of uh, – well, hopefully by the time this airs, uh, we, we'll have it. Uh, I, ne- I never thought I'd be where I am. My, my wife, my, I met my wife at my farm, and – She's in the horses, and she's back in the horses, and we're doing that stuff, and she's living her dream. And, and uh, nope, there, there, there's a fat, fat uh, miniature paint donkey, though, that they can't catch. So he comes <laughs> with the farm. <laughs> Brother, any final questions? Yeah, man. So first of all, thank you so much. This has just been like uh, – your story is amazing. It's, it's really – it was like bring tears to my eyes when I was listening to you. But out of all the things that you spoke about, what's one thing you could tell – the building men audience that they could do starting right now to get on a path to go in the right direction in their life. So loaded on the head. I call it the four A's, right? You have to you have to be aware of where you are right now. Where, where are you right now? You can't lie to yourself. So you can lie to everybody else. I did that. I did all this stuff. I did everything. I do whatever I want to do. When I, when I put my hand in the pillow every day, I had to deal with that. I had to deal with the guilt and the shame and the despair and the disgust of who I was as a person, how I treated people, how I acted, what the things I did. Uh, all, like, I, I've, I've been there and done it. Like, like I, I got more, more stuff that I've done that Conseco put in his book about what other players did in Major League Baseball, right? So it's just the, the first A is, is you have to be aware of where you are. Look in the mirror. Where am I right now? For me at that point in time, I was disgusting. I was a piece of crap. I was scared. I, I had no self-confidence. I had no self-worth. I, I, I talked a big game, but, but I couldn't act because I was so beaten down. Um, my, my soul, my spirit, my, my subconscious system, everything. You have, to, you have to be aware of where you are. A lot of people do that, but then the second age, you've got to accept it. You have to accept where you are. Like people try to like cover it up and run from it and run from it. And like, I'm going to go drink with the boys. I'm going to go, go binge watch uh, Netflix. Or I'm going to go buy stuff on Amazon. I'm going to go jump on porn. I'm going to, I'm going to go do all these things to run them and flee from it because they don't want to accept it. You can't move until you have an acceptance and understanding a baseline of where you are right now. This is you. This is the battle between you and you. 
Not between anybody else. You can have other mentors. You can have other people, resources in the world. It's between you. You have to accept who you are. And so step three is you have to take action. For most people, they want to go from step one to step seven, step eight. I just want to get here. I want to make $100,000. I want to make a million dollars. I want to I want to get this car. I want to get this, whatever this is, whatever the society says we need to do. They want to go from level one to level seven. Let's start level one. What does level one mean? Level one, for most people, means stop the bleeding. When you wake up, how do you do that, guys? You have to keep the promises to yourself. You got to get credibility with yourself. You, you got to gain accountability with yourself. So many of us men don't have true accountability with ourselves, and it breaks my heart because we're losing out on opportunities to impact other people's lives. So many of us are in despair right now with COVID, all this stuff, losing jobs, not knowing what's going on, mental health disease is going up 2,500%, like marriages are falling apart, people are losing money. It's like, I got to take action. It's to stop the bleeding. How do I do that? If I say I'm to wake up every single day at seven o'clock. Wake up, wake up, dude. If you say you're gonna watch what you put in your mouth, I'm gonna drink so many water. I'm gonna, I mean, instead of seven beers, I'm gonna drink two beers. Just do that. And once you do that, you celebrate that win. And that goes into step four, the fourth A, which is accountability. You gotta keep accountability with yourself. You gotta, you gotta celebrate those wins when you do that. You gotta do those things. And you know, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna be present with my wife and my kids for 20 minutes. Nothing. No, I'm just gonna be here. I'm, I'm gonna write it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight it. And I'm gonna do everything I can right here for 20 minutes. After that, boom, celebrate that win. And if you don't do it, you gotta kick yourself in the ass. Come on, dude. You gotta do better than this, Shay. Let's go. You're better than this, bro. You know, you're a bum. Seven years ago, I was sleeping on a couch in subsidized living with my kids with me. I was a bum. That was me. That was nobody else. But I sat the victim role. Victims blame and shame and, and, and use excuses. I did that for seven years. I sat parked. Don't you guys know I was Major League Baseball? Dude, don't you know I'm, I hit a game winner off Mariano? Don't you know? I don't give a shit what that was. What are you doing now? Stop shaming yourself. Take the action. Keep your credibility and accountability with yourself. How do we do that? Just gain momentum. Just do little things every single day. I'm telling you, man, if you need to get back in shape, just do little things. Put your damn shoes on and go around the block one day and mark that down as a win. Yes, I did it. No, it's not going to do everything. It's not going to lose 20 pounds. It's not going to put yourself in a position. Have one simple conversation with your wife. When you walk into the house today, like, like look at your wife in the eyes and say, you know what? I love you. Just do that. And mark that up for a win and do the same thing tomorrow. Same thing the next day. Step one, step two, step three. Step four, direction, bomb, achieve my load, feel. Direction, bomb, achieve my load, feel. Direction, bomb, achieve my load, off the tee. Once you do that over and over, you never know. You might find yourself in a field being a two-time MLB All-Star, playing in front of hundreds of millions of people. I'm an average guy, guys, but I figured it out. God. Where can the Billy Men audience find you, Shay? shayhillandbrand.tv or mlbmindset.com I launched a, a program it's an 8 week hybrid coaching program it's a killer program to be able to integrate everything I learned playing Major League Baseball and afterwards to help accelerate guys to go to the next level I'm telling you it's killer that's mlbmindset.com absolutely tremendous Shay Hillenbrand find the Building Men uh, podcast building.men on Instagram buildingmencoach at gmail.com our website is buildingmen.i I O <laughs> check out her sponsors. I'm all hyped up. I'm like, I'm I want to be like fucking shaking right now. I know. Of the, uh, <laughs> Sorry guys. No, dude, it's no, amazing. It's... Check out, uh, check out our sponsors. They are, it's finish the race apparel, FTRapparel.com. All things building men are, uh, we can find it there. Become stronger industries, makers of handmade, badass steel maces. Shay Hillenbrand. It was truly an honor to talk to you today. One of people that I, I idolized as I was, I was watching on TV. I truly, this was, this was a really cool moment for me. Thank you so much for the Building Men audience. Go a step further than you thought you can go. We'll see you next time on Building Men.